0: Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It is the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and they share their story. They might have overcome some kind of adversity or they may still be on that journey. But the stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel a little bit inspired. With me for this episode is a woman who's turned one of life's most traumatic events into a moment of conversation, support and shattering stigma. Campaigner and podcast host Lauren Mahon was making huge strides in her digital marketing career when just at 31 years old, the rug was pulled from underneath her when she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016. After the information sunk in, Lauren knew she wanted to do something powerful with her news. So she created an online community where younger women struggling with cancer could support each other. Lauren wrote about her experiences candidly on her Girl V Cancer blog and thousands of followers later began co-hosting her very own award-winning BBC podcast, You, Me and The Big C. After raising over sixty thousand pounds for charity with a range of slogan T-shirts, aka tittees, Lauren is keeping it real and approachable, whilst continuing to change the conversation for women. And today marks the first day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm thrilled and honoured to have Lauren join me on the podcast today. Welcome, Lauren thanks my darling. (laughs) I've been (laughs) wanting to get you on here for a while. Um, You're someone that lots of people know of. We've seen you on TV shows, we've had your podcast, lots of us follow you on IG. Um, But I wanted to start at the beginning because I feel like what I know of you is sort of present tense and what you've been through. But I feel like I don't actually know much about your original background and Who was Lauren before everyone knew you? What what were you like growing up? Do you know what? I've
1: always been gobby. (laughs) I've never been shy, Katie, to be honest. Lauren's always been quite a friendly, outgoing, warm person, but probably not the biggest fan of herself. Highly insecure, always worried people didn't like her. Probably a bit, of actually quite a lot of a people pleaser. But I had this confidence. I've always had this confidence where I, I, I it's that fight or flight moment where, you know, people will shy away from situations in case it makes them look silly, but I seem to just put a clown hat on and go, I'm just going to go for it. Um, but loved life, loved doing bits, loved being social. I, funnily enough, my job, um, pre who I am now, was social media. And, uh, oh,
0: that yeah. makes sense why your page is so slick
1: then. Okay. Oh, thanks, honey. <laughs> um, yeah, um, like pre-being poorly, I, you know, because I was 30, mum and I got ill, so pre-then, I'd like, I was living with friends in East London, always at a festival, always on holiday, which isn't too distant from pre-pandemic, Lauren, to be honest. Um, but I, yeah, my my career was that I worked in, um, I'm going to shut my window, by the way, because I live in Hackney, and we're going to get a lot of sirens. <laughs> I feel like less like I'm on line of duty now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my my job. I love I love communication. Like I just love people, and I love communicating with people. And I'm fascinated by like branding and how we um, translate a feeling or a moment or you know an emotion and what we want to portray. And so it just became very apparent very quickly that my niche was like the more creative side of marketing, and then kind of went into social media. So. I really have always loved what I've done, like influencer marketing. Ambitious, a joy. So. Yeah, oh, do you know what though? Ambitious, but I don't think I think the neurotypical version of how the world works in terms of our working structures. Mm. I've, I love what I do, but I literally t- six months in, and I'm like, I need a new challenge. Working within these confines of of what we see now, I know things have changed so much over the last few years, but. I always really struggled to conform, and then I'd get to a certain point in my job where
0: I'd really struggle. I'm exactly like this, so yeah, I I totally get this. So this is why it's so stark for me that here you are, you're you've you've been to uni, you you're successful, you're in a managerial role, you're young, you're 31, and then along comes a diagnosis in 2016. That, you know, the woman you're describing doesn't like being controlled, doesn't like being confined, doesn't like having to be sort of dictated to in that way. You're ambitious. You're a go-getter. Tell me about getting that diagnosis at that age. Can can you describe the experience?
1: It was, it's I always describe it. People always laugh. But, you know, when Madonna was at the Brits and the cape got stuck and she got ripped from the stage backwards, yeah. a bit like that. That's Mm -hmm. what it feels like, a bit like that. Like, you know, the thing as well with pre-cancer, I I had mad health anxiety. I have struggled with severe anxiety, depression, depression as a result of the anxiety that went unmanaged for years because we're in a very different space now with mental health than we ever were when I was 24. Mm -hmm. And I was always, I've always been very, very aware of my immortality. Had a couple of really traumatic losses when I was 16 that just kind of set the scene for what I thought death was and looked like. And they were both premature and both very tragic. So in my mind, I was hyper aware of my own mortality. So to get a diagnosis at 31 was also this, like, felt like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost, like, Mm -hmm. knew it, told you so. And it kind of was a massive process for me to understand and learn that you can be sick and you can knock on death's door, but you can also come back from that place. So, like, at 31, to think that was it was horrific like Mm. I also genuinely feel like and I think we're all guilty of it and you could probably hard relate very much comfortably numb in my existence on this planet going with the flow just not really feeling the everyday yeah I was just comfortably numb before I got sick and then all of a sudden it was like oh so this counts every second counts every day counts I am grateful that I am here okay we're not mucking about here Mm. Like, life is not promised, tomorrow is not promised, and it does change your mindset in
0: ways that you wish that it didn't take a trauma to, but it does, often. Is it right that you were given confusing terminology at the very beginning, that may, where you didn't know where you were at and how far yeah. along you were? So when I was in the room and she
1: said, I'm really sorry, it's cancer, obviously, first of all, my world fell out of my bum and then I started panicking and I just said, I don't want to die. And she said... Well, don't think that's going to happen. And what she said was you've got a grade three tumour, but I heard stage three, and I knew that stage three in terms of cancer was the later stages. So there's one to four. Four is incurable, but you can live with it long term. I don't like the word terminal, really don't. Stage three, obviously, is that little bit more advanced. It does mean that the cancer's spread quite aggressively or it might have hit one or two lymph nodes or whatever. Um, and stage two is it's a bit more contained. So uh, stage one is like you've literally caught it at the point. Which yeah. is where we want to be. Yeah. Um, so I heard grade three and I thought I was stage three. And I only kind of knew these terminologies because I've been around cancer with my grandparents. Like we were very mm-hmm. much, um, very much part of their care with my mom and the family when we were teenagers. So I knew bits and bobs, but I think my mind had warped what it meant. I'm, and I'm going to say, it, like, I don't want anyone to know what that means unless you have
0: to. Yeah, it
1: was very yeah, confusing. I mean it's-
0: it's talking in that medical speak around you when your whole world is like crumbling around you you become in that moment you become a a conveyor belt you're Mm -hmm.
1: mechanical then your body becomes mechanical you are parts to be fixed you're not lauren
0: you're a hospital Mm. number it's like a production line you started riding that line you know complying having your treatment you didn't have a mastectomy you you, tell tell me what i had a lumpectomy okay i've never heard of that what's that
1: So a lumpectomy is where, for me, because I have such small bosoms, which is the irony of me getting breast cancer, by the way, I always say Mm -hmm. it, I'm like,
0: mine are a goodwill
1: gesture, so I never really understood why why this (laughs) happened to me. But um, a lumpectomy basically is where they remove the area and margins around the tumour itself. So where I had a small breast and I was very slight, um... They said if we do a mastectomy and we have to rebuild this breast, you're gonna have like quite severe scarring. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, you know, that can cause problems in terms of mobility, also body image. The the surgeries are big un. Um, so if we can try and save the breast for you at 31, we want to try. So they
0: threw everything at me. And we did, we saved the breast um this might this might sound ungrateful and 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 general and I don't mean it about everyone that expresses it but I do think when some people say to people you're so inspiring or I admire you it comes from a good place and it's authentic and it's genuine but there's sometimes a strand of that that means oh thank god it's not me because I could I, and, and it's like repelling you in a way of like that's your lived experience over there I don't want that. I couldn't, I couldn't, I wouldn't, I just couldn't and wouldn't, but you can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is great. And and it's not an, I don't mean, it's not a nasty thing. It's not an insult, but it's sometimes people, people's admiration is a, is a repellent as well.
1: Like, if people say to me now, oh, you're an inspiration, whatever, I can take that because of the work I've done. And I'm like, yes, the work I've done
0: since that. Yeah, they mean the way admirable. you conducted yourself in, in your movements following that.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll take that compliment. But when I was in, because I can appreciate where that comes from, when I was in the depths of it and even before I started doing anything with my diagnosis, Katie, like, people were like, you're so brave. And I'm like, I'm not though. No. I'm not brave. I'm just having to deal with what I've been dealt. And There's a lot of the cancer community that, you know, rebels against this idea of... Because what it does is it others us. So we will be standing there and they'll put us all in a row in a really pink, fluffy campaign and they'll go, look at them, aren't they so brave? It's like you may as well line up everyone who's just gone and done a Tesco shop and gone, aren't they so brave for braving that queue? It's the same difference, like... Mm. You have to get on and you have to try and survive. So it's not like you're brave. You are just building a resilience that everyone has to build in life. And I think it is hard because I just feel like what I'd rather someone go is, do you know what, mate? You're doing really well handling this. Well done. Mm. Not you're brave, not you're inspirational. It's, I just want someone to be like, do you know what, love? Like credit to you. Like I feel like you're handling this really well. And it
0: just feels more, Real. I don't know, on a level. So did you feel then that you had to really fight to, to keep other people from feeling sorry for you and almost telling you how you should feel? Babe, that's what Girl vs. Cancer is all about. <laughs> I literally got so fed up of
1: it. I got so fed up of telling people I was ill and them looking at me like I was about to drop dead in front of them or, like, telling me what's what when they've never had a cancer. Patient. Oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And and their perception of what a cancer patient looked like. There was so much I was learning every day that I had no idea about. And all that kept coming into my mind was I don't want a future Lauren to feel like this. I just want her to be able to find a couple of people that they can go, okay, she's a bit of me. I get where she's coming from and I'm going to be like her. Um, I'm going to be able to handle it like her and I can still be me whilst doing it. Um, so that's why Godwise Cancer started.
0: It started, it's almost five years, you know, October 21st. Yeah. We should talk in detail about what you've done, because actually, I mean, that's the kind of sort of energy you have. Like you're quite a doer, you know. Um, and, and I feel like that was, from what you're saying about your past, it feels like you were always a doer, as yeah. defined by, by having an illness. Um, and you did do something positive. You know, you did turn, whether it was physical or mental pain, into purpose. Um, which I suppose is what attracts other people who feel that they couldn't do that. They don't know they couldn't do that because they haven't been in that position. But how long after the diagnosis did you start on that quest to do something positive with your, your new life, I guess? Mate, honestly, this
1: is like no one will be surprised who knows me. Literally, I went to the pub after I got diagnosed, obviously, because I'm Laura Marne. Um, And then the next day... What did you have to drink? What did you oh, have? Oh, just bottles of Prosecco, mate. Just bottles and <laughs> bottles of Prosecco. Um, all my mates came and met me there and it just made it easier because it meant I got to, they all got to see me at once and it meant that I could kind of manage them but also, like, feel yeah. safe because I didn't want, it made me still feel like me because mm-hmm. the whole world has changed in that moment but everything's the same apart from you. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a bereavement. Mm. And, yeah, so the next day I woke up my mum and I went, I wasn't checking my boobs. None of my friends are checking their boobs. I need to do something with this. I'm going to make T-shirts and sell them for charity. I want young people checking their way. breasts. And yeah. it, it was it was a panic move because I am, honestly, I am the queen of distraction techniques. When I'm going through any kind of stress, anxiety, fear, worry, I will throw myself into something. Um, yeah. It's what I've always done. It used to be drunk, drugs and drink and partying or rec- like horrible relationships or you know, creating a blog. I like seven blogs, I swear, at one point. Um, so, it was no so 90s. What I did. So 90s, such a 90s kid. How many MySpace's can you make? Yeah. And, but but I, I I, just knew that I was angry and I felt really robbed and I just didn't understand how it could happen to women like me. But then also I was like, well, if it's happening to women like me, it's happening to a lot of women like me and why is no one talking about why young women aren't checking their breasts? So I'd already knew about Copperfield. So obviously I wanted straight away to work with them and raise money for them. But I also wanted to share my experience through an Instagram lens. Like I didn't want it to just be, here's me in a hospital chair. I'm quite creative. I love photography. I love that, like that influencer aesthetic. Like that's my jam. Mm. It's what I've worked in in social media for years and stuff. So it was like showing cancer, but through the lens of what I would always create. And it really, people really, caught on and people found me as a result in the community. I started to build my own community out of it, like of support. And then as I got to the other side of treatment, I realised there was something in this. The t-shirts were flying out. When did the t-shirts start? They start, I think I launched them in February of 2017. They were meant to launch in December, but I was really quite poorly. Um, And I had 500 pounds saved. I was meant to go on holiday with before I got sick and just didn't happen. So I took that £500 and I found a supplier that did me 500 t-shirts at a quid each and they sold out in two weeks.
0: They're really iconic. I mean, anyone who's listening, they're the titties. They're the titties. And they're really iconic now, aren't they? Like, you just yeah, can see not- them, you know them. Yeah, it's yeah. a really recognisable brand. Yeah, the
1: original slogan tee, so me being like little Cockney Gobby Cow, was like, right, I'm going to put knockers and jubblies and fun bags on t-shirts. And just, it was a way of talking about breasts without it being aggressive, or like, without it being twee and pink and fluffy like like me it felt like me yeah um, humanizing it yeah humanizing it and having a laugh and just getting people having the conversation and it's done really well and it's still doing
0: great things um quite big. Do you know what I was thinking about, right? Instagram started out for just good looking people and glossy, glamorous oh, yeah. people. And it was just a place of like nice pics, right? So it wasn't a place for illness and treatment and disease or disability. It is now, it's a very it's a varied, like diverse place, but it's quite brave to put... Uh, something unsexy on there back then right so how did your followers react because I think it was quite like new and how quickly did the following grow because people are interested in what you've got to say but you didn't know that it wasn't like you weren't jumping on a trend or anything you know
1: no there was no it just felt very organic for me to do it there because it's a place that I use and I work in um it also felt different and I knew that's where my peer group were So I wanted to speak to them because I wanted to show them this is what a diagnosis is. It also is a way of me communicating what I was going through without having to answer a thousand uh, questions, a thousand WhatsApps and controlling my narrative rather than having people try and tell me what my narrative was. But it was scary because once it was out there, I couldn't then take it back. So it meant it was very exposing. And let's make it right, we didn't know what was going to happen. But all I knew was it felt like the right thing to do and it felt like what I needed to do because I've always been a sharer I've always had blogs and it just felt like this is a way for me to document my journey and my process almost like a dear diary moment um do but I, regret it no no I don't I wouldn't be where I am now and I know even last night I was laying in beds what A girl in the community who I'm really close to, she's got a really big following, and she's going through a lot behind closed doors, and people just don't know. I didn't know until she voice noted me. Her mum's really been through a lot with breast cancer lately. I had no idea. And I had a voice note from her telling me such, and she went, mum found Girl vs. Cancer, and she's feeling really empowered by it, and she just felt like, okay, like, here's where I can talk to people like me. Oh, look at all these women with cancer living their normal lives, being normal, being who they are and not the cancer, not being cancer patients, but being themselves. And mm. that's what it's all about because, you know, when you see cancer, whether it be for a big charity campaign or whether it be for a brand, doing some charity work, you're put on that stage and that platform as a cancer patient. So you're portrayed in a certain way. Whereas Girl vs. Cancer is by the community, for the community. So we're I'm all about the humour behind a hospital number, man. I'm like... Yes, there is cancer involved here, whether it's past, present, gonna be in your future, but you're still who you are. So I'm always about using the community in the campaigns that I do, but
0: showing them for them, not as their diagnosis. There's a really good quote, you know, from, from the podcast. that says, cancer takes enough from those it affects about allowing it to strip out our personalities. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Like, it's so what you're about, isn't it? Well, it does because you, for
1: ages, that is your full-time job. You are a cancer patient. You have to survive. You have to get through each treatment, each gruelling thing that brings you to the edge you have to come back from. It becomes all-consuming and it take you forget who you are. So it's important to have people around you who treat you like you are. And if that ain't going to be your friends and family, then come to us, because we see you, babe. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm all about getting back to the to the person as quickly as possible.
0: Do you think it did strip a part of you temporarily or permanently?
1: I can never unknow what I know. I can never unexperience the moment of thinking I may not survive something. I can never, um, like, unexperience my hair falling out in the bath. my mum hiding it from me in her pockets. I can never unexperience my little brother walking into the room like, after they told me in his face, like, looking at me with this smile, like, it's going to be okay, but I could see in his eyes he didn't think it was. Like, there's things that I can never take away. Mm. Um, But also what it has done is it's given me this fearlessness um, because I'm so scared that it's going to come back and kill me, that I I live in a way that nothing is guaranteed. So I just do and go. And I was already a doer, but I live with this real need to do what I need to do now because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And that is sad in a lot of ways, but also I think it makes me do more and it makes mm-hmm. me live fuller and love bigger and have bigger gratitudes because I am very, very aware of my mortality. Look, Bumble knows you're
0: exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and... So I was laying awake last night thinking about you, <laughs> creepy. Oh um. doing that kind of podcast, Katie, all right. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and like knowing knowing I'm gonna record with you, and I was thinking, and I was watching videos of you, probably quite old videos of you actually on YouTube and stuff like that. And I was thinking, there's something different about Lauren. She's got something that other people don't have because Even though we're talking about that concept of being inspiring, there was another road you could have gone down. You know, we did talk about anxiety and depression at the start. So you could have switched off. You could have not engaged. There's other approaches to this that you didn't choose. And you did make other people your priority, even if it was distraction technique. If it was just distraction technique, you you wouldn't have gone as far as you've gone and carried on today. So there is something in you and it's quite special. And oh, no, I don't know if, you... You. yeah, it is because there's a whole thing that you've done here. Like you have redefined the stereotype of cancer. You've provided this invaluable resource that is going to be there forever. You know, like it's quite phenomenal. So why didn't you take the other path? What is in you that's different? Has it always been there? Do you recognize it? It's a kind of rebellion. I, I just, there's something in me
1: that... You know, fight or flight, I tend to run into things. Like when I was growing up, if the boys were having like a scrap at college, I'd run towards it and people would hold me back because my instant reaction is to, no, get them off of him. If someone says something, I've been told off by my friends and family in the street all the time. If I'm somewhere and someone shouts some abuse at somebody or, you know, is rude or this, I'm the one who, with strangers, be like, don't talk to them like that. And part of it is probably because I was carrying a lot of aggression because of the hurt I've been through. But I think part of it is just because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think with the cancer stuff, it's no different. I think, you know, it broke me in ways that I can't explain. It isolated me in ways that I don't want anyone to experience, but they're going to. This is a life-changing thing. Like... Whether I do this work or not, it's going to live with me every single day. I'm going to think about that diagnosis, not, not all day, every day. I remember two years after my diagnosis, I, I realised it had been a week since I'd woken up and I thought about cancer first thing, which was a big change. So, you know, it doesn't it's not there all day, every day. If I'm not working in cancer world, my brain is always ticking with ideas for it, but I can kind oh. of almost make it like businessy. But there's other things going on, but it's still a part of who I am. Every time I have an ache, a pain, a cough, a uh, a lump, a bump, anything, I'm always like, oh, my God, what is that? Like, that's not going to go away just because I don't work in cancer. Every time I see an advert for a charity, every time I hear of a diagnosis, every time I see someone walking down the street, you can tell they've had chemotherapy. I'm never not going to feel a way about it. And it's just going to sit in my brain... And I'd rather do something with this fucking. Sorry, I can't double spell in it, but I no. said it. <laughs> it's um, fine, don't worry. With this, with this kind of anxiety and I need to put that energy somewhere. I have got a lump, right? I recently had jaw surgery, so I've got plates in my face. And just up from the plate, there's a lump that's formed, right? Quite a hard lump, it feels like it's on the bone. So, guaranteed that's gonna be something to do with my surgery, right?
0: When, when I tell you, or something. I yeah. laid in
1: bed two nights ago, sobbing. Because no, I Googled I and I'm like, it's a tumour, it's a tumour, it's a tumour. Because that's all it is now. Nothing can ever just be my body going, whoops, every now and then. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that's going to kill me. And, you know, that's an anxiety I'm always going to live with all my life. And it's really hard to explain, like, my, actually, do you know what? I can explain it. My mate Bradley, Brad Goodger, he founded a charity called Alike, which is phenomenal. It's an app that is there to connect the cancer community, the first one of its kind. So if anyone's listening and you're trying to connect with the cancer community, like in a, in a conversational basis, and just have chats, go and download a like. Um, but he said to me once that cancer was like the Hotel California because you can check out, but
0: you can never leave. And it's the truest word that's ever been spoken to me. Mm. My mum got diagnosed um, eight years ago and it, it started with bowel, it went to liver, and then separately she had skin cancer and then now it's gone to lung. And it's been like eight years. She's and amazing. It, we, yeah, and, and she's, always, she's had surgery, chemo, radiotherapy, immunotherapy. Um, she's at a stage now, there's no no treatment. Um, and she's 70. So, and we, every Christmas, we've been like, all right, we be- better do something because we don't know what's happening. There has been times where she's been really, really mm. ill. Um, at the moment, she's just doing her thing. Like she's help, you know, as healthy as past, like carrying on. But that's the thing, like you've touched on, it's always there and it's always unknown. And there's good times and there's bad times, but it, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, and it's very different that living with that uncertainty at 70 versus in in your 30s and you know one thing I wanted to talk to you about is love and I watched you on first dates <laughs> and I'm, I'm, yeah <laughs> I love watching first dates anyway and then you were on and I was like oh my god it's it's Laura. And I thought this is interesting because wrongly there's this whole thing that comes of you know society saying when women should have children Uh, when they should get married, when they shouldn't, and what what disease or disability means for a woman when it comes to love, sex, having a family. And I wondered, I mean, you talked at the start of this chat about urgency and how it created urgency. Society creates urgency for women anyway, like, you know, regardless. So yours is heightened. Where are you at with with all of that and all those labels? Do
1: you know what? It's, I just have the faith that things work out as they should. I am not somebody who believes in forcing yourself down a path because you should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, you know, I always make a joke. to say dust settles, not me. And it's true. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to settle for lesser than because I know that this life is so precious and we all deserve the very best happiness we can possibly have. And I think a lot of us do, you know, we feel like we have to have certain things by a certain point. I do want love. I do want a relationship. I love being in love and I love being in a relationship, but not if it takes from me. And so, you know, I have been dating and doing bits the last couple of years, met people, you know, probably stayed in things that I shouldn't have because of the pandemic, and because they they weren't serving me, but because I just felt like I needed that intimacy and that connection. We all do that, though. We all yeah. do that, don't you think? Yeah. And I like, you know, I, I think cancer made me realise that and, everyone's life has different paths and they meander. And I think if yeah. you try and force yourself through a door that's not opening, that's where problems arise and that's where you you go off the path that you're meant to be on. So I'm very much a surrender to the process. I try not to have mm-hmm. too much attachment to outcomes, which is very hard at times because when you want something, you want something, but... And also, you know? like I think, before I got poorly, I wanted someone because I wanted to feel wanted and I wanted to feel loved and I wanted to feel worthy. And now that I feel all like those things in myself because of the work that I've done on myself over the last five years, and because of you know, I think it's very hard to get close to your own death without having to reevaluate how you treat yourself and you know that you are loved and you are valued and you are worthy. We're so lucky to even be born onto this planet in the in the beginning.
0: Yeah, it's a luxury, not a necessity yes. to, to who you are, you know. And and like, you know, we're talking about you, that something happened to you when you thirty 31. Like that's a good few years ago and you've changed now. You're, you know, you're a different person. Um, I feel like, you know, obviously we don't have the same past, but what I relate to you and, and what I really like and admire about you is because I follow you on Instagram. You don't fit the label. You're not a victim. You don't feel sorry for yourself. Um, Just because we know you for your diagnosis, you don't actually talk about it all the time. And like your sort of aesthetics on Instagram for me are like aspirational. I like the way you dress. Oh, thanks, baby girl yeah I just you know I'm attracted to you because I think you're cool I think you're fun I think you you've got high morals I think you're you know there's a, there's all these reasons like you're one of those girls if I saw you in a shop I'd look at your outfit you know that kind of yeah. thing and it's like it's, it sounds a bit weird again no I'm that um, person but, if I see someone in a dress I'm like excuse me where's
1: that from I'm that person as well yeah. mate don't worry
0: so this is what I feel that you've done that's so big. And this is what I just think is so cool about your long list of achievements is when anyone that's been told you've got a disability now you've got a disease now you think like oh my god that's it now i'll just be wearing a stained cardigan and no one will talk to me and it's horrible when you feel like you're just written off and lose an identity so for me you're part of that massive movement that you change that like you you are desirable you are aspirational like you are doing all your things and and it is change changing that whole label and, and maybe like you'll be one of those people that are contributing to eradicating that perception that stigma and completely just removing it and maybe like when my children's children are adults it won't be there
1: uh I I I, I hope so and it's so kind of you to say like genuinely like all I ever wanted to do was just make sure that other girls like me or people that identify as female non-binary as is, is the space I'm moving into now as well but I just don't want anyone to feel that they are not they, that they're completely stripped of who they are, that they don't mm-hmm. can't be related to, that they can't find people that get them. Um, I think the time of, you know, this one size fits all version of cancer and treatment and how we communicate stuff to people has changed, and like I'm really proud that Girl vs Cancer and like the podcast that I do is been instrumental in that. And I'm actually really excited and proud of the things that I can achieve. Like we talked at length when I recently saw you about, you know, how hard it is to run something on your own and how it can break you. And actually, I think I want to give you some news because I've not been able to tell you yet. But since our conversation, I've decided to make Girl Vets Cancer a registered charity now.
0: Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's just a really, really good next step. That's great for everybody. I'm just a bit like I
1: I never wanted to do it because I think there's so many amazing charities out there doing amazing things, and I didn't want to take from them, which is mad because there is no lack. There is no lack. There is enough for everybody. But I just don't want to replicate what they were doing. And I think five years down the line, I know what Girl vs. Cancer is and what it's going to become and what Mm -hmm. value it adds to the community is different to anything else that's out there. So now feels like five years to anniversary it, to make it a charity, to get that access to funding, to get... The support network in terms of a team, which means I'll be a better leader and be able to do better things, bigger things for the community because I'm supported, is the really important next step. And it, we did have a really good chat, and it really did sit with me. And Good natural progression. I
0: think it's an obvious next step. Yeah, it's You've just done all that leg work. Yeah, I've done five yeah. years. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm just you get less less for murder, as they say.
1: What's different about it is we're by the community. We're by people like me for people like me. So it's the yeah. whole community. It's not just me. This this is the community owns this space, and we want to better the experience of others from what our experiences are. And I think that's got
0: real power. That's amazing. I mean, this is a whole new chapter. You touched there on an, on another chapter just um, a few minutes ago. You, you talked about your pronouns. I didn't. I didn't know anything about this. Tell me about this. Oh
1: no. I, so yeah, I'm 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 a she, um, and I'm straight mm-hmm. and I'm cis. But I feel like in the world that I'm in, I've done a lot of learnings um, in the last five years. And like when I first got diagnosed, cancer was white elderly. Um, cis and -hmm. you didn't really see any other representation um I have worked really closely with my friend Simon with Leanne from Black Women Rising over the last five years because I was doing casting calls on Girl Burst Cancer for people to feature in campaigns and everyone come back to me was white and blonde. And I was like, what is going on? Like, where are mm-hmm. the other stories that need hit he- um, hearing? So Girl Burst Cancer is a space, I think, really to hero those stories that are seldom heard and give them a platform because all the other big charities mm-hmm. are doing everything else. Um, yeah. And also, like, it's looking at like, non-binary space, so like, I've I've got loads of friends in the LGBTQ community I'm really close to. And having an understanding what it's like as a homosexual man or woman to go into a medical setting, there is a lot of bias. It Like, then elevate that again by being trans or non-binary, where the lack of understanding is, and it's all about language. Like, you know, breast cancer is touted as a woman's um, illness yeah. because it's breast, but everybody has breast tissue. So if the language is all feminine and boobs and pink and fluffy, we're... Alienating a whole bunch of people. I mean, I'm a girl, but I don't do pink and fluffy. So I switch mm. off when I see that kind of yeah. stuff. So it's again, it's the new so Girl Virgin's Cancer is rebranded. It launches in October. Um it's exciting. very exciting. It's the new chapter and the new logo and everything, it it represents that. It's a space for whatever woman and feminine means to you. So a space for women, femme, mm-hmm. and non-binary folk. Yeah.
0: You've got so much to be proud of, thank right? you pal. and we have you know we haven't even covered everything. What is your biggest achievement per- personal and career to date? I think the thing that
1: I'm proudest of is I have managed to find a way to love myself i I didn't before I had cancer. I'm really proud of that, and I'm proud that in yeah. doing that, I've been able to support other people, just knowing that everything I put out and everything I'm trying the love and the care and the empathy I put out is helping people. To me, that will always be a pride. Like I'm really proud that my vulnerability is given other strength. That's something I'm just proud of. I'm proud.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, and people are checking their breasts more. Mm -hmm. That has changed, hasn't it? We are discussing it. We are talking about it. We're physically doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was was thinking about your future and I was thinking, oh, I hope she writes a book. And I thought probably knowing you, you're probably already writing a book.
1: (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) I will. So basically, I just want to get Girl vs. Cancer in a really solid place in terms of a team because the thing is if I step back from it, then nothing happens. So I'm like, do you know what? Just this year, let me get it sorted. And then the future is, you know... I do want to explore me since cancer and the doors that have opened for me like Kate like I never would have been sat chat and you I could never say that I'd be sat in a you know in a, in a social setting me and you having a, a, a chat together and yeah. you know it's, it's opened up such a phenomenal world of broadcast and things like that that I owe to myself to explore but I'm uh-huh. not going to feel comfortable doing that until I know Girl Cancer has been looked after so totally get it
0: yeah you need to do everything in the right order for you so that you can actually give it your best shot and enjoy it and and this is your world that you always belonged in because you you studied for this you have the experience in it you know that you should have always been here but you know sometimes I think there's some really shit saying um about like you know it takes a crisis to take two leaps forward or something like that and I think I can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to it too. And maybe the world gets it now because you hear everyone now, like, oh, since the pandemic, it made me realize I need to get divorced or change my job or move or whatever it was. And people are starting to realize that sometimes this unwelcome change, we don't want it. We're not glad it happened, but it can be the catalyst um, for other positive things. It wasn't a positive thing to happen to us, but it, the things afterwards what it kind of influenced us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you're such a great influence for all different types of people. And if you write a book, we all want to buy it. Oh, thanks, are, mate. Yeah, um, you are amazing. You are phenomenal. And I'm really excited for this new chapter and your next steps. And I will continue to stalk you online. Thank you, darling. Please do slide into my DMs anytime, Katie Piper. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials.